Hello and welcome. I'm George Crump, Lead Analyst with Storage Switzerland. Thank you for joining us today. Today we're going to talk about the three new requirements of unstructured data protection and give you some tools to look at uh, whether or not your current backup solution will be able to deliver the goods. So we're going to talk about sort of just the, the problem in general that people are dealing with, um, some of the challenges that we're seeing with legacy solutions, and, and really what you need to be looking for when you start to look for a, a data protection solution that's really going to be able to uh, handle this. Um, attendees uh, are able to receive our, our latest ebook that really dives deep on this subject called Modernize and Unstructured Data Protection. Uh, that can be found in the attachments and links section uh, as part of the webinar. Uh, joining me uh, as part of the conversation is uh, Jonathan Cowings. He is the Vice President of Business Development at Aparavi. John, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, George, thanks for having me. I'm uh, definitely excited about being a part of this discussion. I'm glad to have you. So before we get too far into the presentation, you want to give the folks just, you know, maybe a quick 30 seconds on you and uh, what Operavi is up to? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I'm a, a veteran, as much as I can say, in the uh, kind of traditional backup and disaster recovery space and, uh, you know, felt a, felt a, a sea change in, in data protection and uh, along with the, the other leaders here at Operavi. Uh, we are now focusing uh, specifically on you know, managing the, the long-term data retention, uh, the, the warm, uh, active archive of unstructured data uh, across you know, multiple cloud architectures, uh, hybrid cloud infrastructures, really trying to get uh, ahead of the wave that we see coming. Um, I think enterprises are already seeing it today, right? But uh, uh, trying to get ahead of it for, for the rest of the market. Okay, great. And then uh, for those who don't know me, I'm George Crump, the founder and lead analyst of Storage Switzerland. We've been doing Storage Switzerland now. Uh, we're in our 12th year. Uh, prior to that, I was a CTO at a large storage integrator. Uh, one of my responsibilities was to manage uh, tech support. Uh, we took first and second call for uh, products like Networker and NetBackup and Commvault and uh, if you ever want to know what the worst job in the industry is, it's probably managing tech support for products that you don't even have the software code for. So um, uh, a lot of what we learned there uh, goes into a lot of the processes uh, that we've developed, uh, and I think you'll see a lot of that come through today. So, uh, John, before we kind of talk about what's wrong or anything, let's just kind of frame up the problem. And, and I was very hesitant to do, uh, you know, yet another unstructured data is growing out of control slide because it is, but I think kind of everybody knows it. Um, it it's, but I, I think the key difference, and I, and I think what kind of takes people off guard is, is it's not really that unstructured data is growing. I think everybody will acknowledge that, but it's really kind of how it's growing, right? It, this is not because we've got another billion people on the planet and they're all creating really big uh, PowerPoint presentations. Um, th this is being delivered in uh, partly some of that, but also just uh, machines and things like that. And so now we have kind of this, what I call sort of a quantity of files uh, issue. Uh, you know, in the old days when we would do uh, a backup assessment, um, you know, I would be on the lookout for servers that had, that had maybe a million files on it. Uh, now, you know, we're starting to see customers approach a, a billion files, and that just fundamentally changes uh, the way you do a lot of things, and one of those things would be data protection, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, I, I can't tell you how many times at, uh, you know, working with backup companies, uh, organizations, large organizations, we're, we're hitting this, this type of experience and, and saying, you know, what, I'm not meeting my backup windows with product X, you know, or product Y. Uh, any longer, it's it's just sitting there and it's scanning for a week before it's doing anything, um, and that's because right. yeah, they're they're the way in which they are uh, you know working with the file system is is unrealistic um, in uh, in kind of the this this billions of files era. Yeah, and, and I and I think that the the other kind of sea change we see here is that the you know the size of the unstructured data. Um, it's not that, it, this is kind of a weird, I didn't know how to really put this into a bullet, but it's, it's not that there's less files that are measured in a K. 
but there's just that there's the fact there's probably you can make a case to say that there's even more now thanks to the Internet of Things and, and, and uh, things like that. But um, there's a lot more files that are now measured in megabytes and gigabytes and 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 that uh, really creates a challenge too because you've got this um, you know unbelievably mixed workload that ranges from uh, in, in a single data center where you could be dealing with you know a half a million or a couple million uh, 3k files and then the next job so to speak is backing up uh, maybe you know a uh, hundred thousand uh, two gig files and, and so that really puts a a different type of stressor uh, on the backup uh, application. And then, John, I, I think the other big one that um, you and I talked about on, on a video that we did recently was uh, this is just the beginning, right? This is like we're going to look back five years from now and think of this as the good old days, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? When The good old days when, when backup, using backup can still work for your archive and your, and your long-term retention, exactly. Uh, you know, and that's as I mentioned earlier, yeah, you know, the that that growth. I think by by 2020, unstructured data specifically, uh, according to uh, some leading analysts, is uh, is supposed to be like 90% of all data worldwide, and it's going to be in the zettabytes um, uh, or the yottabytes. <laughs> so it's it right. it is uh, yeah exactly. Um, there is a massive rate. Uh, of of growth that, that is happening now at, at enterprise scale, absolutely. Yeah, I, I mean the example that I always give is that you know four years ago, even not even that, three years ago, I didn't know I needed to know what my heart rate was every minute or every day. Now apparently I can't live without it, <laughs> right? So it's just it's just it's just this ongoing thing that you just it's just going to get worse and worse and worse as we put more data, more sensors on on different things. So. Uh, that, that, I think that really becomes a challenge as we kind of move forward. Um, the, the other thing is performance is really, um, and just data in particular, this, this data is now just increasing uh, in performance, right? The, uh, I'm sorry, in, in importance. I'll get the right word out. Uh, it's, um, and, and what we're looking at here is, you know, again, if you kind of go back to the, uh, early 2000s type of era where most of this data was created by users and you know the, the typical you know quote unquote backup strategy was was well if it's important copy it to a file server and we'll back it up there uh, you, you know the, the the thing has just fundamentally changed there are um, businesses that specifically run solely on unstructured data and then John there's there's a lot of businesses that you know make decisions based on this data and if they don't have it um, they can't, you know, essentially they can't operate, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I think with the rise of, you know, machine learning and, and uh, AI, uh, a lot of the new, especially like in engineering, um, you know, in manufacturing, you know, Elon Musk, for example, right, he can predict that Tesla Model 3 production is going to go from, you know, 3,000 a week to 5,000 a week based on some of that machine data. And, and his stock still goes up even though he's still uh, – you know, is profitable because the the you know the business trusts the data more than they trust him. I think at this point, so he can say like, look, here's here's the passive increase, here's the machine data that, that backs that up. Um, you know, and that's obviously a macro scale. But the other thing is 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 we are now more uh, regulated in in data than ever before. And you know, you look at things like GDPR, and even data that we previously didn't think held value now uh, holds risk. Um, and, and that's, I think, going to be a growing concern here stateside, uh, you know, come, come in the next few years as well. Exactly, yeah. And I also think that uh, another big one that we see is the, is the ability to monetize data, uh, and I'm not talking necessarily a, and sell it. Uh, so I'm not talking necessarily a, a Facebook uh, Cambridge situation, but legitimate reasons to actually sell data. Uh, you know, we've worked with... Uh, several sports leagues where they've taken uh, old archives where maybe it was radio only uh, and digitized those and then made it available, you know, the playback of those made them available for sale. So if you want to listen to like a baseball game from the 1930s, you can subscribe to uh, the 1930s uh, baseball games, which is kind of interesting if you're a baseball guy. 
and but so there's ways to you know if you will make money uh, off of this data and the other thing is um, there's also new threats right the, you know we talk uh, a lot about ransomware and ransomware um, is I don't know if it necessarily specific tar specifically targets unstructured data but certainly uh, John unstructured data is, is certainly a, a victim of of ransomware in many cases right. Yeah, I mean, I think that's where it starts, right, in, in emails and, and things like that, that that people are, you know, opening attachments on, uh, you know, un, unknowingly, um, you know, outside of, you know, malicious intent. But, uh, yeah, the the ransomware issue is, is a big deal, as we all know. You know, once it once it gets in, it can it can traverse network paths. It can, you know, get, get all throughout your system really, really quickly. And... You know, a lot of the backup softwares out there, uh, and a lot of the archive softwares out there, are going to say, "Oh, look, the file changed," and they're going to end up copying, you know, bad data uh, onto your uh, your secondary and tertiary storage systems, and uh, from that point on, you're you're pretty much, you know, up a creek. Yeah, exactly. And and you know, so I, I think that changes the way we look at protection, uh, both in terms of frequency and, and analysis of data as we do the protection and things like that. So it just opens up a whole different um, things and um, and and then the other thing we see is sort of this increase in demand for retention of data, right? That uh, you know for some of these monetization reasons, uh, you know, um, and to do uh, decision making, uh, or organizations are wanting to uh, keep data longer. You know, I, I the the term I hear a lot is you know forever, right? And forever is a really really long time. Uh, and so the ability to retain information and um, uh, manage that correctly is is really important. Of course, you know the more data you have tends to lead to more accurate decisions and more monetizations. And, and then, John, of course, uh, GDPR happened, right? <laughs> uh, and so it kind of changes everything. Um, and, and you know, one of the things I like to point out is that. Uh, you know, GDPR is really a, a world problem. This is not a, a, a unique to Europe uh, situation. Uh, you know, I've, I'm on record as saying that, frankly, if you read the GDPR regulations, um, they're, they're not crazy. Right? These are not, um, you know, you don't read these things and go, oh, geez, what did they do? A lot of what GDPR is asking an organization to do really is, is just good data, good data management, and good data protection, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think there's some there, there's some things in there that people are going to feel like I'm, you know, feel unreasonable about, like, hey, forget me, right after after yeah. X period of time, forget me, um, you know, and and yeah, your your next point there, you know, GDPR breaks traditional backup is is because uh, backup, and even we say traditional, it breaks modern backup too, right? If you're looking at right. at your image based systems. Uh, it, it it becomes you, you need to intimately know what you have everywhere uh, in order to to comply and and that that is a daunting task for uh, you know legacy traditional and modern backup companies uh, in general right and and uh, any anyone with a, a data protection older than data protection engine older than GDPR is in trouble. Yeah. I think that's a fair assessment. I think that you know a, a project we were working on really uh, hits that middle point that uh, you know we see uh, GDPR compliant companies starting to use it as a competitive advantage. This particular company, after we had done the plan, the CMO uh, who I don't normally deal with a CMO when we're dealing with an end user company uh, walked into the room and handed me a press release that they were getting ready to put out uh, that basically said. Um, you know, we've done all this work and we're fully compliant, and uh, but we also want our uh, U.S. and Canadian uh, customers to know that we think they're just as important as our European customers, and they're going to get the same rights and privileges uh, as our European customers, right, with the kind of hidden implication that why doesn't your competition do this, right? And so I think that this whole GDPR thing really just sparks this sort of data privacy conversation I've, that I've had with just, you know, what I would describe as non-IT people 
uh, as far you know when everybody started getting emails at the end of May trying to figure understand why they're everybody's letting them know that their data privacy plan had changed um, you know that just sparked a whole different level of uh, conversation that I don't think anybody had before and now I think you know over time people are going to be much more in tune uh, uh, to that so um, so I, I think that kind of sums up kind of where we are and, and so let's talk about sort of the uh, the current uh, state of the art, if you will, in unstructured um, uh, data protection. And there's really two methods, right? Uh, method one is sort of this file by file uh, technique. You know, and John, there, there is some good things here. You know, you, you had mentioned the, the time it takes to scan uh, the file system or, or walk the file system, the term we'll use a lot. And, and, and there are some advantages here, right? right? It does give us some uh, granularity we do know about each individual file and that in some ways is helpful as we talk about things like GDPR and stuff, right? Yep, yep, exactly. Yeah, when you're, you know, looking at, at a, a long-term, you know, data, you need that high level of granularity uh, to, uh, to be able to actually, you know, manage the data in and of itself, right? Uh, that having the, that high level of granularity is, is what is required uh, to, to start to comply with some of the, the uh, the, the regulations coming about, and you know, one of the things I wanted to say before is, is when we did some survey data, and there's a lot of people who are doing survey data on GDPR preparedness. Um, you know, the the techs were like, meh, <laughs> because I think they saw all the inherent problems. They're like, look, there's no way in, unless we rip everything out, there's no way we're going to comply right away. So like, let's just not worry about it. But the business side of the house was like, no, you you need to figure this out, right? So the executives right. had a high level of fear around it, whereas the actual uh, boots on the ground will say the, the sysadmins, the, the senior sysadmins, et cetera, were kind of like, okay. Um, so, you know, our, our response to that is like, well, like use your executive sphere to fight for budget for, you know, better data protection and, and archival engines. Right, because the, the right engine really helps here. And I, and I think the other challenge that you see, now some challenges we see with file-by-file backup is, first of all, it, it is still a, a series of sequential jobs. And, and I am concerned um, about, for example, the use of tape here. I, I, I don't know if John Smith calls you up one day and says, I'd like to be forgotten. I don't know how you move, remove John Smith from a sequential job stored on a sequential form of media that's eight terabytes large. Yeah, I think exactly. That becomes a where, very difficult yeah. thing. And where where one file relies on another file and another file and another file in a in a synthetic incremental backup, and you can't just go in and start removing things out of the chain. Exactly. Exactly right. Yeah, and then of course you touched on this earlier, but the the downside with a file by file backup is. Uh, especially when we're talking about millions and billions of files, it is really slow, right? Um, and it, it's not so much that the first backup is slow. You could probably live with that, but even subsequential backups are slow. There's no uh, or limited mechanisms in place to uh, not have to recheck certain files and things like that. So all of that really creates a, a challenge. And then the other method, sort of the opposite end of the equation, is this concept of image-based backups. And, you know, John, I, I would say as well, you know, maybe five-ish years ago that we started to see a pretty big uh, change in the market to this direction, specifically to take care of the fact that we had these file servers out there with, you know, millions and potentially billions of files. And, and essentially what we do with an image backup is we just ignore the fact that there's a file structure there at all, and we're really just protecting things at a, you know, essentially a one and zero level. It's just at the block and volume level, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, I uh, I missed part of your question of the phone. The phone got got uh, got got chunked up there. So usually when you say right, I just say exactly. It's uh, it's how I how I operate. <laughs> Not a problem. So the um, so it, it you know it, it, the the big challenges with the image backup is it really doesn't provide any granularity. Uh, you know, it's this is the inverse really of the file by file backup, and then it's almost impossible really to manage or categorize the, the unstructured data within that image because we've lost that granularity now, right? And so that really... Yeah, uh, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah we, we like to use the term opaque images, 
right? So that's that's meaning like you you can't peer into that because it's in a proprietary, you know, compressed, uh, encrypted, deduped format, and you know, at at best you'll get a date range, right? Um, and and you'll know, okay, these are the things I I selected, and you know that to to be in that image, but. But you have no tools to manage the data, you know, with inside of that, right? You might have data that is inside of that image that that could be removed, right? It could be archived out, it could be deleted, but you can't do that because obviously you can't break open that image and start to manipulate it. Yeah, and and a, and a question came in that I want to go ahead and address now, and it also gives me a chance to remind people to ask questions. There's a a Q and A box down at the bottom. Uh, you just click on that and type in your questions, and we'll answer it either in line or at the end. We got a good good chunk of time saved for uh, uh, questions. Um, but but a, so a question came in on yeah, but uh, I don't think it actually was a question. I guess it was more of a statement. Uh, but yeah, but uh, image backups can do individual file recoveries, and, and that's absolutely true. I mean, take nothing away from the guys who leverage image-based backups. They they can do. Uh, you know, very fast uh, incremental <laughs> updates uh, of those images, and they can um, they can actually recover individual files from the images. But you have to look at how they're doing that. They're doing that typically through either mounting or peering into the image. Um, and, and there's a big difference, for example, when we're talking about something like a, a right to be forgotten. There's a big difference between recovering and essentially copying something out of the image versus uh, just uh, uh, actually deleting something within the image. Because that, all, all, as, as John had said earlier, all those components are sort of interconnected and you just can't, you know, sort of like a house of cards, you can't pull that middle card out and expect everything to work together. Yep, yep. All right, so that, that's sort of the, the, the two basic ways that uh, uh, you know, unstructured data is backed up today. You either do a file-by-file -file backup or you do an image-based backup. Uh, John, in, in my experience, I, I think I actually see vendors really offer both, and the, and the user yep. or the backup administrator has to really kind of select between sort of an either-or, correct? Yeah, I think there's there's a handful of vendors out there, um, you know, appliance-based vendors typically that, that are you know, doing some sort of, of kind of hybrid offer, um, you know, for, for snapshots and for file by file, uh, yeah, but you know that's a uh, an interesting way to solve the problem is just to say, yeah, we can we'll 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 master all of it, right? You you talked about a uh, a baseball example. I was a I was a pitcher in college, and uh, Sparky Anderson um, would would hang around the field, which was phenomenal for us. We got a big kick out of it, and you know I was I I came in as a freshman, you know, thinking that I was going to throw eight different pitches, and I was, uh, you know, batters were going to be all confused, and uh, the reality is, is I only could throw one of those perfectly because I was too busy trying to figure out the other seven. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, it, you know, when when you start to try and do too many things all in one in one backup engine, you, you become, a, you know, the jack of all trades and a master of none. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. So so let's kind of talk about, you know, so we, I think we've sort of set the stage that Unstructured data has fundamentally changed, um, and the current methods, you know, either A or B, file by file or image-based backups, um, really are, are wanting, if you will, in protecting this sort of onslaught of unstructured data that's uh, here now and just going to get worse. So let's talk about kind of what we think needs to happen here. So I, I, I think the number one thing, John, is is we don't really want to give up that rapid granular backups. No, nobody can go. You're the uh, Vice President of Business Development, you can't go to market and say, hey, we're, we invented this really, really slow way to back up data granularly. That, that's going to be a really hard sell. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, would, I would say so. Um, absolutely, right? You're like, okay, like, I'm just going to go, you know, back to the days of, of uh, you know, tapeware or, or something like that, and uh, uh, we're just going to go back 20 years to go forward. Uh, yeah. So, so yeah, there, there definitely, there definitely needs and is a better way to, you know, handle the large file sets and handle the, uh, the frequency at which you're, you're backing those up. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think if you look at sort of the threats and regulations on the horizon, we just can't give that up, right? Ransomware and just frankly, just general DR requirements, and of course we've got the whole GDPR thing that we kind of hit pretty hard. 
uh, you know, just all of this requires um, speed, but also granularity. And I think what John was sort of hinting there was was sort of a, a, a journaling-like technique to, to get the best of both worlds, a, a fast, um, especially on updates, file-by-file uh, file backup. So I, I think that really becomes a key thing to look for as you're kind of looking at evaluating your current backup solution and potentially looking at a new one is when it comes to your unstructured data set, can it really give you the best of both worlds? Can it give you a fast backup at the, while at the same time giving you very specific file granularity? And so those, those become key. Mm -hmm. the, the next thing is uh, data intelligence. So, you know, I, I think um, it, what's interesting, it's one thing to, and I, I think the file-by-file file systems are, are kind of guilty of this, John, right? They, they, they have the granularity, but they're just kind of stupid about it, right? They, 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 might know, they might know the path. They might know the date modified. Uh, they might know um, some, although most don't, uh, the date access. But they really don't have a lot of uh, detail uh, about those files, right? Yeah, that's pretty common. I think that, you know, the, the more intelligence you add, uh, early on, obviously, the more I/O overhead you're going to end up with. So I think that, you know, there's there's been this kind of mantra, you know, and, and we you talked about it, right? You know, speed. Um, there, everybody wants something to go faster, right? There's there's never a scenario in in you know IT where where they don't want something high quality and fast. Um, but uh, yeah, and in light of that, you know, they, they try and, you know, okay, if we have to walk the entire file system in a sequential manner, let's do it as quickly as possible. And, and the way to do that is, is not to add any type of uh, intelligence, uh, you know, to, to when you're indexing those files. Yeah, exactly. And, and then I think the other thing that, that's lacking in the, kind of that second bullet there is the concept of being able to uh, tag uh, and do custom tagging to files so that you know maybe the source or purpose of those files. Um, the, um, the, the other thing is that as you start to add this intelligence, it allows you to start thinking about reducing the amount of primary and even secondary storage capacity you use because you, could, because you know what's there, you know what's been accessed, you know that this never gets accessed or when it gets accessed. So that, that kind of thing. And I think, John, that really that last one's kind of important, right? I, I um, you know, that's actually a, a quote from something I say all the time. Like, look, if you can't find the data, you don't have it stored. Right? You know, the fact that you actually do have it stored really doesn't matter because you've got to be able to find it. And, and so the ability to not only find data but find it uh, quickly really becomes a key requirement, especially as we, you know, kind of delve into the future of, uh, of all this unstructured data. Yeah, could, couldn't agree more. I mean, that, yeah, it's, uh, if you don't know what you have, you have nothing at all. That, that's, that's, you know, another way to say that. Exactly. And, and then there's this, you know, I, I had one slide, GDPR happened, and I was going to have another one, so the cloud happened. Um, mm. and, and, you know, you, what I advise people here is uh, when you're looking at how to use the cloud, especially part of data protection and data retention, data management, is make sure that you're approaching it by that you're playing chess and not checkers. Uh, and by checkers, I mean that a lot of vendors will say they have cloud support and it's, you know, minimal uh, and I'm uh, being kind. Uh, and they're just trying to essentially get the checkbox, right? And there's, there's other things you can do with it. And so what, what I typically say happen when I talk about a minimal cloud support is all they're doing is, essentially mirroring everything to the cloud, which is, is okay because at least you got a DR copy and all that kind of stuff. You know, God help you if you actually have to pull it out of the cloud and pay all the egress charges. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it is there. Um, but, you know, what you really want to do is kind of think of the cloud a little differently, right? That um, can I use the cloud as part of my retention strategy? Uh, can I reduce the uh, on-premise uh, capacity uh, of storage and, and, and really both ends, right? That, you know, what we see, uh, John, happening a lot is we're seeing the growth in uh, primary storage actually being dwarfed 
by the growth in secondary storage because secondary storage now is used for so many purposes. And, right. and so that, that, that ability to reduce both sides of that equation become critical. Yeah, exactly. I think when your uh, modern research shows that for every terabyte of data, you know, on, on premise, you're, you're, or every terabyte of data that you aggregate at the source, uh, you're looking at like five to 10 terabytes of secondary storage as a result. Um, because of, you know, and that's where the whole copy data management, you know, uh, world came from, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I think that uh, aside from, you know, using your backup data for other things, which, you know, we're big fans of around here at Operavi, um, you know, is actually, you know, the intelligent reduction of storage based on, on known, known data or known variables, right? When you know what you have, you know what you can get rid of. Exactly. Yeah, and so I think that last bullet kind of sums it up, right? What you want to look for is a is a solution that can do more than just mirror to the cloud. I mean, mirror to the cloud is probably a fine first step, but you want to be able to apply some intelligence here and leverage the cloud to sort of reduce your on-prem costs. I mean, if you're just duplicating your on-prem cost in the cloud, it really doesn't you know help you much. So to kind of summarize here. Um, First, you know, really want to get across that unstructured data just fundamentally changed, right? It, it, user home directories and user-created data is certainly still critical. It's probably, in fact, more critical than ever. Uh, it's certainly larger than it's ever been, but it's being dwarfed. What we're learning very quickly is machines are much better at creating data than humans ever will be, right? And so managing that uh, becomes real critical. Uh, and, and I think that fundamentally that you just need to take a new approach to protection uh, of unstructured data. You need to think of uh, unstructured data often was sort of an afterthought. Uh, now it needs to be really, I, I think, front of, uh, top of mind. Um, it, the, the frequency of protection is critical thanks to things like ransomware. Uh, and then the granular, granularity of protection uh, is critical thanks to regulations like GDPR. So you, you've got this sort of perfect storm uh, occurring that is really requiring you to kind of rethink things. Um, and I think the other big one is, is the capacities required by on-premises systems uh, really need to be reduced. And the cloud now is, is you know, very cost-effective uh, and is an ideal place to retain this data for, for a long time. Um, and so having that, at least as an option, I, I think makes sense for a lot of organizations. So, so John, you know, you guys are kind of a thought leader at uh, you guys at Operavi, and you, of course, you personally are uh, really thought leaders. Uh, I think in this space, uh, you've really created a company specifically to solve this problem. So, um, you know, why don't I turn it over to you and let you walk through with the folks, uh, kind of what you guys are doing and what the long-term vision is. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I appreciate that, George. You know, our long-term vision is to solve all the problems you just talked about, right? <laughs> Um, it, you know, it, it, yeah, in, a, in a perfect world, that's that, that's exactly what we would we would be you know we would be doing. Um, so a little bit about operavi. So op, operavi uh, comes from a Latin word. That's a form of operare, which is where we get the word prepare. So literally translated, it is prepare, make ready, and equip. Uh, we say it different here in uh, stateside than we probably should in, in true Latin, but. Uh, uh, you know, we we are we are here to prepare organizations for multi-cloud active archive, uh, and we do so uh, with built-in protection. Um, so, just a, a quick about us: we're in Silicon Beach, which is uh, kind of the Greater Santa Monica area, um, and we are are solely focused on the problem of protection, retention, and archive of unstructured data. Uh, the way our team is structured, uh, we've got a, a leadership team. Uh, Adrian Knapp, he's got over uh, 25 years in storage. Uh, Rod Christensen, uh, this is his uh, fourth or so protection engine. Uh, if any of you guys here have been, been around for a while, uh, Rod is the gentleman who wrote Yosemite Tapeware. Uh, he spent uh, 10 years at Computer Associates on the ArcServe DDD platform. Uh, he was at uh, Novastore Corporation, where Adrian and I uh, were introduced to him. Uh, for quite some time, kind of molding products together for for cloud for the cloud, new cloud era, um, and and really, Operavi was was part of his brainchild, knowing uh, you know all the all the sins of backup. Right, uh, we set out to build an engine that, that could start to address those. 
Uh, myself, I've got over 10 years in data protection uh, at uh, and in startup companies between uh, quite a few here. And uh, Jay, uh, oh yeah, uh, Victoria Gray is our CMO. Uh, she's got over 25 years in storage and data protection. Uh, you know, George and, and, and Vicky go way back to the uh, you know um, Legato days together. And uh, she was most recently at Nexan, and now she, uh, we're lucky enough to have her on our team. <clears throat> and then Jay Hill <clears throat> has over 10 years in cloud data management and archive, uh, our VP of product, uh, mainly over at Informatica. So as you can see here, uh, we have a, a ton of, of leadership uh, focused solely on kind of storage and, and data protection and data management. So I'm, I'm not going to explain this slide in depth, guys. This is uh, something that we've talked about this, this entire time. Um, but these are some, some statistics about uh, um, you know, uh, unstructured data. And, and probably what is, is beneficial here is to note uh, uh, a, a thought by Enterprise Strategy Group, which was uh, that 85% of archived data is accessed very frequently. The statistics there is actually on a weekly basis, enterprises uh, that are, you know, uh, I believe it was uh, 1,000 to 5,000 employees are, are looking for archived data on an almost weekly basis. And 80% uh, of that data that's been created is within the last two years. So the natural question is, why is it an archive? And, you know, I think uh, George answered that already. It's, you know, we need to get data off primary to save cost and to uh, free up, you know, uh, because data is growing so quickly, we need to get it out to archive and put it out to pasture quicker than we ever have been before. <clears throat> All right. So one of the things that uh, we talked about a lot here is, is backup, right? And, and we really think that backup isn't the solution in, in whole, right? The, uh, the backups that we're dealing with today, uh, the engines were built for structured data as the primary data source. So they weren't built around granularity. They weren't built uh, to try and learn anything on, a, on an individual file-by-file -file basis. They were looking at, at databases specifically because historically that's where the most important data had lived, right, in our, in our databases. Um, they were designed around, you know, on-premises. Uh, they were designed around tape. Uh, with proprietary formats, um, you know, locked data formats, you know, .nbks, .cmbts, whatever it may be. Um, but uh, the, one of my favorite stories is I had a, a, a uh, uh, it's not one of my favorite stories, one of my favorite business stories. <laughs> uh, I had a, a, a customer using a, a competitor, and to set up a Amazon S3 object storage, you had to add a new tape library first. <laughs> because they had no other way of recognizing, you know, a, a, a off-site uh, type of storage repository at the time. It was pretty entertaining. Um, all in all, you know, they're not cloud optimized. And what this results in is a complex, expensive, and broken uh, engines, backup engines, that have, have really suffered from kind of the add-on economy of, okay, well, let's just add a new plugin for this. Let's add a connector for this. We'll add a gateway for this. And, and when you do that, uh, everything gets overly complex. You start to need, you know, a, a master's in, in backup to, to run these systems. Um, that causes massive expense, and, and ultimately, uh, that complexity leads to, to the brokenness of, I, I don't know what I have, uh, and as George mentioned, if you don't know what you have, you didn't back it up in the first place. <clears throat> so, Operavi has a better way. Um, we have a multi-cloud protection and retention engine that allows you to dynamically select cloud storage locations. The way that we are writing data in the cloud, and I'm not going to give away a ton of the secret sauce. We'd love to have you guys uh, on a demo with one of our, our uh, one on one-on-one demos with one of our technical teams, um, team members. But uh, the way we're placing data in cloud allows us to actually dynamically move data uh, from different uh, to and from different locations. So you could have a uh, an original file in Amazon, and you could have increments in, you know, Google or Azure, what have you. Uh, we truly are uh, multi-cloud from that standpoint. Um, we also built uh, the solution to, uh, to be logical about removing, grooming, or pruning data. Uh, so because uh, we are, uh, you know, leveraging some of the benefits of, of the file-by-file the -file technology, we know uh, down to a byte level what we have. Um, so the moment a individual file or individual increment uh, is able to be removed, 
uh, our software can automate the, the destruction or removal of that data, the deletion of that data uh, out of your you know, secondary and tertiary storage repositories, um, and then even all the way back down uh, on-prem if, if you want us to. Uh, <clears throat> alongside that, um, we, we have a compliance storage optimization. Uh, which allows you to, uh, we, we can call this almost like a search and destroy. Uh, so in a GDPR scenario, uh, by policy or on demand, uh, we can, we can uh, destroy that sensitive data and then also provide an audit log that it, that it indeed has been, has been removed, right, um, in, a, in, in a GDPR type scenario. Um, along with the multi-cloud protection and retention, uh, it wouldn't make sense if we didn't have multi-cloud recovery and retrieval. Uh, so we uh, do allow you to recover to a specific point in time, uh, similar to snapshot-based technology that, that allows point-in-time recovery. Uh, what's uh, really beneficial about this is you don't need to know where your data is. You just need to know when it was. And our software is going to manage the retrieval of that or the recovery of that, depending on what's going on in your infrastructure, um, you know, from those multiple different cloud locations. This is really important when you're talking about seven to ten years of retention, turnover within IT, uh, you know, new new uh, leadership coming in and saying, you know, uh, Amazon's dead. It's all about Azure, right, or or things along that nature, where where you as a sysadmin or an IT uh, have to start to move and, and manipulate data around. Um, the big benefit here, guys, between multi-cloud protection, retention, multi-cloud recovery retrieval is we have no requirements for you to actually pull the data back down on-prem before you put it back up, up to a new cloud, right? There is no kind of, uh, there, there is no reason uh, to, to say, okay, I'm using cloud uh, for storage economics. Uh, oh, but if I want to go to a new cloud, I have to pay all the egress fees in the world to bring the data back down on-prem. Oh, by the way, I have to have on-prem storage that can fit all my data. Um, it's just not not realistic. So uh, we are our true uh, intercloud uh, connective. And the last thing is we talked about proprietary formats. Uh, Opravi has a documented data format. So on our website, in our resources section, you can actually get the documentation for our data format. Uh, this can be used to build uh, you know connections between uh, you know uh, other backup tools, right? So. In, in 10 years, uh, if, uh, if Operavi's change data formats, which is, is common, if any of you guys have been in data protection for a while, you know that as new, more efficient technologies come out, uh, companies will change their data formats uh, to, to comply, and oftentimes old versions of, of data can't be read by new versions. So this documentation will, will completely uh, eliminate that. Um, and we also are in the, in the process of uh, standardizing and open source publishing a reader uh, that will be available in public domain, you know, uh, as, as long as, uh, you know, open source is around. <clears throat> so to kind of manage all of those, uh, you know, powerful tools, uh, we built a data-centric retention policy, uh, and this allows for uh, both content and metadata classification. Uh, so we're able to, uh, you know, as data is being ingested into the system, uh, we can, uh, you know, classify it based on its metadata, but we can also, uh, we also index it based on its content as well. Um, and so this allows you to set, you know, data policies based on regions, uh, based on, you know, data type, um, based on uh, business importance, right? So all finance data needs to go to a, you know, five nines cloud, whereas uh, if it's just, you know, generic uh, documents, things like that, we're going to send it to somewhere a bit cheaper, for example. Along with that, uh, we talked about search and knowing what you have. So our advanced archive search allows you to search through uh, content itself, uh, as well as uh, the classification that you may have applied. Uh, so we have a, a basic set of predefined classifications that follow best practices, you know, finance data, things like that, accounting. Um, but we also allow you to specify your own. So this is uh, in media entertainment, for example, a, a production house uh, needs to know uh, every film that they have or every, uh, that, that has Meg Ryan uh, appearance, you know, Meg Ryan shows up in it. And that's because, you know, in the future when, you know, uh, different milestones uh, happen with Meg Ryan, for example, um, they need to be able to discover that as quickly as possible to, to begin to, uh, to formulate information around it. Again, or in a GDPR scenario, it's 
hey, you know, I did business with you five years ago, forget all my data, you've got to be able to discover that. So we can discover it by your file name, uh, the actual content, you know, if George Crump shows up in, in the actual document somewhere, we're able to discover that for you guys. Along that, uh, we have storage analytics built in. Uh, so this allows you to track usage and trends along your storage so you can see you know, what data is growing where, how your cloud storage is being, being utilized, uh, what data is being saved by pruning. Uh, we also added in a monitor there for percent change. So we talked about ransomware. Uh, percent, percentage of the files that you have that have changed uh, is a good indicator that something's going on. So you can actually set if this then that threshold. So if you know 80% of your data changes on, a, on an individual server, for example, um, you know you can actually stop the motion of data uh, out to cloud to ensure that you stop uh, you know the copying you know of, of bad data. Uh, we talked a sec ago about this, but full auditing and reporting logging available. You can export those as CSVs. We also have a full uh, RESTful API that you're actually able to uh, to leverage everything from um, that gives you access. And then, yeah, just a, a one of the great things about our policy engine is that it is a global, fully automated policy engine, meaning uh, as you introduce new machines, as soon as they check in uh, to to, uh, uh, to the Operavi platform, which is a web-based uh, HTML platform, uh, it will uh, automatically uh, inherit, adopt, and execute the policy uh, that has already been set from the infrastructure. So it makes scaling really straightforward. So here's a quick look at the architecture, and this is where we're going to start to address some of the granularity that uh, and rapidity that George was talking about. We have three storage operations uh, that we're capable of doing. Um, you're able to do those uh, as a, uh, you know, um, you can do some of them, you can do all of them. It, it doesn't necessarily uh, matter to us, but it matters to you as a, from a business outcome standpoint. So uh, we have a web-based platform that's actually hosted by Operavi, so you don't, it's a software as a service delivered solution, so you don't actually have to go out and and stand up a web server to host our platform. Uh, that capability does exist. Uh, if you want to do that on your own, you absolutely can. Uh, but on-prem at the uh, at the location, you're going to deal with our, our software appliance, which uh, is bring your own hardware, guys. Uh, we don't want to tell you what you can, what, where you can put storage on or what limitations you have. Um, so we fully support uh, all uh, supported versions of Windows as well as common distributions of Linux, uh, both on the source and at our software appliance. Uh, the source itself, uh, guys, we can do CDP-style checkpoints there. So uh, if you want to run a, a policy that says, you know, grab all new and change data every, you know, uh, one minute, uh, we, we can give you that type of granularity. And what it's going to do is it's going to use the local direct-attached storage or network-attached storage uh, to that individual server uh, as a temporary recovery cache. Um, what will happen next is you're going to say, okay, every hour or, or maybe every day, depending on your, your recovery points, uh, you're going to say, do a file-by-file Operavi -file, uh, snapshot to our software appliance. What it will then do is once uh, we have verified that the data is on the appliance and it is uh, uh, on the storage on that appliance, it's going to go ahead and remove all of those uh, CDP snapshots because, again, we have the data. We've verified that your data is there. It no longer needs to be on the source, so we clean up behind ourselves. And we do the very same thing with archive. Uh, so when we are, uh, when you define your archive or your long-term data retention policy, you define your cloud providers within that, uh, Operavi, uh, you get to define how many versions of snapshots you actually want to keep on that appliance. So again, we're cleaning up behind ourselves. Um, so the data can be sent out to uh, to that cloud location, and then uh, uh, just start to remove the snapshots once everything's out out and verified. Um, there's a question here that I that I want a quick answer. Uh, there's two of them. What clouds do you support? I've got a slide for that. Don't worry. Um, and then the question is, do you store data on premises as well as in the cloud? And uh, yeah, the, we absolutely do. So we store data. We have the capability. Uh, both on uh, checkpoints, snapshots, and even archives uh, to be to be held on prem. So, if if you guys uh, are leveraging, um, you know, a uh, a headquarters location data center, you can define the path right out of our uh, of our solution uh, for archives for where you want those to go. 
Um, or if you're using some of the private cloud object storage that are that are uh, S3 compliant, you know your your Coringos, your Cloudians, your Scaly, etc. Uh, you can even target those um, using our uh, generic S3 uh, uh, creation. All right. Um, so here's the slide for kind of the ecosystem of of where of things we support, operating systems we support, um, and. Uh, from a operating system standpoint, we follow the you know Windows uh, guidelines there. So if it's supported by Windows uh, under under their standard support agreements, it's supported by us. Uh, Linux, including uh, Ubuntu, Red Hat, Fedora, Debian, all of those are are included uh, are supported both from the uh, software appliance standpoint. So those can live on Linux. Um, they can live on uh, um, Windows. Uh, it's up to you guys. From a cloud supported standpoint, uh, we support Google Cloud. Uh, we support uh, Amazon AWS S3. Uh, we support Azure. And uh, we also uh, just certified against IBM Cloud as well. Uh, but one of the beauties here is this isn't the end all be all from here. Any organization that is using the Amazon S3 storage API, we actually have support for you to select a generic S3 object store and you can define your credentials, your buckets, uh, or we can even create the bucket for you, but you define your, you know, your access code, secret key, and uh, we're able to create those for you um, inside of uh, the platform directly. So uh, there is really no limitation here. We didn't want to say we're, we're giving preference to certain clouds over others. From a certification standpoint, uh, we're certified with uh, Wasabi, uh, Coringo, Scaly, Cloudian, uh, as well as the IBM Cloud. Uh, you guys will see a press release uh, about our certification with IBM uh, here shortly. And a uh, quick use case here, this was an engineering firm. This engineering firm is using a, a Veeam tool. They're using images. And uh, from a forecast standpoint, uh, you know, they saw what their data was growing and how their data was growing. And by uh, doing a, a, about a 60-day proof of concept with Operavi on, on one of their machines, they figured out that they were able to predict a 50% reduction in storage across the first seven years. And then after that, a 75% reduction. And uh, this is by using Veeam for what it does best, which is availability and, and continuity of your virtual machines, and then relinquishing control of the data itself uh, to Operavi and allowing Operavi to use our, uh, the, the, the way that we're putting data into cloud, um, as well as the way we're able to uh, remove data out of cloud the moment its retention policy expires. Uh, we, we greatly um, uh, reduce that storage requirement there on that end. Um, so just as a kind of a quick overview, uh, I'm going to leave this slide up here. Uh, Operavi is a uh, software as a service-based solution. Uh, you're able to grow as needed all the way down to the gigabyte level if you want to start small, uh, or you can you can grab a, a larger terabyte-based plan. Um, from a secondary storage growth standpoint, uh, we're, through our pruning, we're able to reduce storage by up to 75%, huge cost savings. Uh, from a location, we support um, you know, uh, we're built for a hybrid or multi-cloud infrastructure, so we, we're able to allow you to, to store data on-premise, to store data uh, in the cloud, to use a combination of those, as well as be able to thread data through multiple clouds. And uh, our open data format uh, is designed to give you, you know, not only the storage independence, uh, but we also want to make sure that you can recover data, and we also want to really end that software or cloud vendor lock-in. Uh, we don't believe that you should be locked into Operavi just because you bought us 10 years ago, or you should be locked into Amazon S3 because that's how you started in cloud. Um, so guys, that, that's what I have for you. Uh, there's a couple little blurbs here, one from George. I'm not going to go through and read those uh, directly, but uh, uh, Operavi is a, a startup, uh, as, as we talked about. Uh, we are a company that is designed uh, solely with, uh, with active archive in mind, meaning uh, you know what you have uh, in your cloud storage. You're reducing your primary location, and you can go back and get that data without having to, you know, wait days for for tapes to be indexed, things like that. Um, but uh, we've got a couple questions here uh, that I wanted to to address. Um, George, do you want to kind of prioritize those? I know we've only got a couple more minutes here. Uh, yeah, but before we do that, let me uh, just. Uh, so folks, you can ask some more questions. If we don't get to them, we'll answer them offline. 
Uh, also, there's attachments available to you in the attachment section that has more detail on really everything we talked about, a couple Chalk Talk videos with both uh, John and I in them. Uh, so feel free to uh, take advantage of those. Um, yep. And so, yeah, let's uh, go ahead and knock through a couple of these uh, questions here. Um, let's start with this one. John, uh, what operating systems does Operavi support? Yeah, um, so just to, to go over that again, uh, we're supporting, uh, you know, the, the current supported Windows server and, uh, you know, workstation uh, infrastructures there. Uh, we support uh, virtual machines as well. Um, at current, uh, we do that uh, via best practices at the actual guest level itself. So to provide that granularity and that index, we, we actually uh, place a transparent agent on the guest itself in order to, uh, to manage that. Veeam, Veeam works similar, actually, when you start to work with their cloud solutions. So they run an agent individually. It's just a lot more efficient to do it that way. Um, and then from a Linux standpoint, uh, you know, we support all common distributions of, of Linux. Uh, uh, yeah. Okay. And then the um, another one here, and I think you kind of hit this one already, but just to uh, clarify, can I use my own storage instead of cloud? And, and I guess, you know, you support anybody that has that uh, object storage that has S3 support it looks like it's uh, something that you could work with, right? Yeah, anything we can, if you want to present yourselves as object storage, um, you can absolutely use our interface to, to create that um, if it's private cloud, right? It just needs to be uh, S3, uh, you know, simple storage API compliant um, with V4 authentication. Um, that's, that's the kicker there. And uh, we'll work with you guys, uh, you know, uh, depending on, on what, you, what you're doing um, to, to get those configured if necessary. But as I mentioned, you can actually also define your own network path. Gotcha. So you don't have to, you um, don't have to go out to cloud per se. Okay. Uh, John, why don't you go ahead and prioritize a couple more that are in the yeah. queue there. And while uh, John's doing that, uh, just to, I'll put up on the screen for everybody contact information. Uh, you know, kind of tw Twitter feeds and uh, handles, I'm sorry, uh, as well as where to find us on uh, LinkedIn and YouTube. So if you have any uh, any needs uh, for more information there, and again, I want to remind you about the attachment section. Uh, you can get all that uh, more detail uh, into there. Um, so let's yeah. see. Um, go, go ahead, John. You want to go ahead and just take one? Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, one that we haven't answered yet throughout the presentation was, can users do their own recovery with the user recovery interface? Um, that is 100% is based on, on the organization who's administering it. So uh, we are full multi-tier and multi-tenant uh, capable. So if you want to give an individual user, maybe it's a power user or a user at a, uh, at a remote site, for example, the ability to do retrievals and recoveries uh, from within the actual uh, you know, web-based UI, uh, you would be able to grant that uh, through our system. They would go, they would log in, um, you know, with the with their own login and password, and be able to uh, to have access to just their own individual data to be able to do that that retrieval recovery. So, so absolutely, we we do support that. Um, okay. And uh, another question that came in, um, just real quick, is. Uh, uh, will the slide deck be available after the webinar? Yeah, we'll upload the PDF uh, as soon as we're done. Um, and uh, you can come back in, same link. You don't need to re-register, and you don't even need to listen to the whole presentation again unless you, you want to. Uh, and then right on the attachments there, there's a, there's a uh, link to click. Uh, John, why don't you take one more, and then I'll, I'll go ahead and wrap things up. Yeah, last last one is do we do do we do trials? Yeah, we do proof of concepts. Absolutely, um, we can do thirty days, and it's actually extendable if, if necessary. Um, we we handle those. Uh, no limitations, no fee uh, on that whatsoever. And then how do we bill? Um, this is a fun one. So we actually do have a pricing page on our website where we're all transparent. But we bill based on source data protected. Um, so you're only being charged once for your data, despite the fact that we're doing you know three different levels of protection. Um, we are not brokering any of the clouds. We're not making money on the cloud storage, so you need to bring your own cloud. Um, but uh, we bill at a, uh, a per gig, month-to-month -month basis on a pay-as-you-grow. That's like kind of the most expensive price point. Or you can do an annual plan if you know, like, look, I've got 10 terabytes of source data, or I've got 50 or 100 terabytes of source data that I need to protect. Um, we, we would build based on that. And that way, you know, we're, we're not charging you based on how efficient our dedupe is or how... 
how many versions of files that you guys do, that just doesn't make sense. So it's, it's solely based on what you have. Okay, great. Well, um, John, thanks for your time today. It was a good conversation. Uh, I also want to thank everybody for uh, tuning in. Great questions. Um, and I also want to remind you that the uh, attachments are there for you for, for your use. There's also in the upper uh, right-hand corner of your player, there's a little email this button. If there's somebody that, uh, a colleague or a friend in another company maybe that you think might benefit from seeing this, uh, please uh, email, it, uh, email them a link. Uh, it's, they probably would rather get an email from you than from me. So uh, go ahead and send it and let them know it was good. Last thing, uh, if before you leave the presentation, there's a section there to provide some feedback at the five-star rating system. You can even type in a nice comment if you want to. Uh, one star being not so good, five star being great. So uh, we appreciate five stars. John, again, thanks for uh, joining us today on the webcast. Absolutely. Thanks for your time, George. Uh, no problem at all. Again, thank you all for uh, tuning in. For now, though, I'm George Crump, Lead Angels Restored Switzerland. Thank you for joining us today.